Welcome to the No Backing Down Podcast. Your host Sean Stellato brings you amazing guests with incredible stories of triumph and success. Prepare to be inspired. Well, welcome to the next episode of the No Backing Down Podcast. I am super excited for our next guest. Uh, when I think of uh, the word renaissance, man, I swear that his face would be in that image. Uh, he's got a PhD from Columbia. He's got an MBA from Columbia. Three-time TED speaker, best-selling author, advocate, and he's got some athleticism in him as well. Joshua Spodak, welcome to the No Backing Down podcast. Thank you very much. I'm happy to be here. I've been looking forward to this. Outstanding, man. Well, you know, you were quoted by saying, if you love what you do and live with passion, I would love to meet you. That's deep. That's That That literally gives me goosebumps when I hear that. It's something like that. Can you maybe talk, like, how did you gain that type of passion or or what really happened that really triggered your mindset to, to really live by that mantra? Well, you know, there's... The way you ask it reminds me of a major shift that I had in my life. And a lot of people talk about a lot of achievements that I've had, like the degrees, for example. A lot of that was for furthering myself, reaching my potential. That's great. But there's a major shift in my life that when, if you look at the beginning stuff and you look at the later stuff, the later stuff is mostly service to others, helping others. And that, that inspires me in a way beyond, you know, I really love achieving my goals and, and reaching my potential. But this, like my environmental work or teaching these things are really driving to help others. It's an, it, a lot of people feel inspired in December. I'm going to lose weight. I'm going to go to the gym, stuff like that. They have their resolutions. It doesn't always last that long. But when you say you start a company and you bring your product out there and people say, when's it going to be ready? This is exactly what I need for my life. That type of inspiration, that lasts longer. I mean, that can last years. And that's what really gets me going. And I love to meet with that kind of inspiration. That's where it came. I didn't come up with that on my own. My work up at West Point, meeting the cadets, and the professors up at West Point, that made a really big deal. Also, when I talk to the athletes, I love having athletes on my podcast. And, you know, they're great. They're great, right? They can, they can lift more. They can jump faster or jump higher, run faster. But when it comes down to it, it's their teammates and, and the fans that they're doing it for. And I don't think they would come anywhere near the potential if it was like, how far can I get on my And I think that's what you couldn't have said it better. I mean, can you just maybe elaborate a little bit? You know, obviously, through athletics, a lot of, of athletes become better leaders, You've had Brian Brayman, Super Bowl 52 champion on. You had Chris Manhurts, another unorthodox story going from never playing a down of football in his life to his first game in the NFL. And then Jaden Graham, an Ivy League young man who's carving out a nice niche in the NFL. Can you maybe elaborate a little bit on the leadership that you learned from those guys? Yeah, and also um, Brian I mentioned in my third TEDx talk, he, he gave me such an inspiration talking about what the environment meant to him. And he talked about it, it's very simple. It's not a big deal. But most people aren't really in touch with this. He talked about going fishing with his grandfather in the Pacific Northwest and that connection to the world. You know, you can talk about how islands are going to be underwater or there's going to be climate shifts of different. That's all very abstract. But he, his story is one of my go-to stories to share with people. And oh, and by the way, he won the Super Bowl. Another big thing is that the, the guys that I've interviewed most recently, uh, Jaden and Chris, they, it's been since the pandemic. And so I asked them, you know, what's it like? You can't train. And they said, actually... This is an opportunity to reach my potential. A lot of people, well, they don't really know what other people, but presumably a lot of other athletes are thinking, well, it's time to rest maybe, but they're not doing that. You know, they, they can't go to the stadium. They can't go to the big gyms where they, I don't know, I don't know exactly where they, where they work out. So they have to do it on their own, but they are. 
Top so secret people. information. Oh, yeah. Oops, sorry. <laughs> no. Uh, well, now everyone knows, all the fans know which games to watch. Can put them in them. So, uh, yeah, and, and that's something that I think a lot of people, well, I, you and me, I think we're using this as an opportunity to grow and learn and things like that. I think they're taking it to another level. They're, they're reaching their pinnacle. And I think there's a lot of people out there and they're not doing that. And I hope that that message of what these great athletes, even if they can't, I mean, it's possible the season will never happen. They're still doing it. That's really, I think that we can all learn from that. You can. And, you know, being proactive and, and look, we're in such a trying time with the pandemic, but, you know, you have one paintbrush, you have one piece of canvas and they're leveraging that platform to, uh, I think, inspire a lot of young leaders. We did a uh, young athletes and young, young entrepreneurs, but um, we did a really unique video, uh, just a shout out to the, the world. And Chris and Jaden's narrative was fantastic. So um, I'm glad you had, you know, obviously one of the many things Josh does is he also writes for Forbes magazine and Inc. magazine, which is just a, another uh, accolade. Um, you know, can you maybe touch a little bit on Colin Kaepernick? Obviously, he showed uh, a certain level of leadership. Others feel Colin, you know, did it as a self-absorption. Others felt it was leadership. I mean, obviously, that w- that's what makes this country unique is the multiple or different opinions. Can you maybe uh, touch on that a little bit? Yeah. I, you know, we all face choices in life. There's what we believe is right. And hopefully what we believe in is right. And the easy thing one side. And most of the time they probably do. Sometimes what you believe is right is not the easy. That's a hard choice. Most of us are facing that choice all the time. And most of us go with what's easy and agree with him or disagree. I agree with him. And, but even if I didn't, I respect the choice that he made and he did something difficult and challenging. And I I would love to meet the guy. I've, I'm, I'm, I will bet any amount of money that if I say to him, do you regret any of it? He will say no. And it's going to go down in history as something beyond just an athlete. I don't want to say just an athlete, but a lot. Uh, and, you know, in my courses, when I teach leadership, I, I, I do a lot on authentic voice, how to speak authentic, how to take away a lot of us. We cage, we're inhibited. When we, one of my major, two of my majors, Muhammad Ali and, and Charles Barkley. And both of them, I mean, they're known for, I mean, certainly float like a butterfly sting, like a bean. That's just poetry. But also when he uh, did not accept being drafted to Vietnam, could, I'm sure he could have worked out to be in the USO and not have his career. And now we look back and say Vietnam was a big, difficult time for America. But at the time, I, my understanding is he was the first, one of the first, if not the first major public to speak out against. Even, Muhammad, uh, even Martin Luther King followed him to come out to speak against Vietnam. And I, I, I put to you, if you lead Martin Luther King, you qualify as a great leader. And likewise, Charles Barkley, you know, I looked this up and I think of him as someone, he would get, he would say stuff that no one else would say. And if they did, it might end their career and he would get promoted and he would get, you know, more airtime. And I wondered about that. And actually, when he was young, the stories that I've read from people who knew when he was young was that he was a very shy kid. And there's this, an incident where there's a big misunderstanding with the, I, people can look up the incident with the 10 year old girl with the spitting. And he was interviewed by, by Pat Riley and he talked about it. Even his mom was like, Charles, what are you doing? And he stuck with him. He stayed true to himself. And as a result, I, that I believe is one of the major shifts in to go from being an athlete to being a statesman. And Colin, I believe, follows in tradition. Great athletes learn enough about themselves that they can, with an authentic genuineness that most of us can only aspire to. Or in my case, I look to them as role models and I hope to follow in their footsteps myself. I I believe we could use a lot of leadership right now. Yeah, we sure could. And that's a a great uh, breakdown on that. Um, You grew up in Philadelphia, tough neighborhood. How did that shape you uh, to the man you are today? Uh, I mean, there were some tough times and there were some great times. Uh, I mean, lately, 
with the Black Lives Matter stuff, I've been thinking a lot about growing up because for a few years after my parents' divorce, uh, we, my sisters and I went back and forth between houses. And uh, my mom's side, we were not destitute, but we were in a very economically depressed neighborhood. So we were one of three white families on the whole block of hundreds of row houses. And I was, I was mugged four times. They, we eventually moved when they stuck a firecracker in my pocket and it went off and they would still lunch. For, it was a very difficult situation. And so I come to race in a funny, I was, a, I was in a minority. Most people don't, they look at me, right? I got white skin, blue eyes, and I'm, it's hard for me to talk about. I, I'm happy to say a few things, but I'm still working through what it's like to feel like, you know, uh, to be a victim of violent crime, to be afraid to walk in neighborhoods. And that's just, it's, it's only in the past few years that, it's, that I've learned that most people aren't mugged growing up. I, I just thought, Everyone got mugged growing up. I just thought that was like a normal part of growing up. It was something you went through. And I went to an inner city public high school and there white was, to be called white was an insult. It was, uh, it, it meant you're uncoordinated, uncool. And I did that. I said that too. So it's a very complex time for me. I'm very glad that these issues are coming up in the media. Uh, you know, I don't like the looting, but, and I don't like, I, I'd much rather have a world where people were communicating more openly, people didn't feel unheard and therefore feel like we have to do something to be heard. Uh, but People aren't heard. Whole swaths of society aren't heard for all sorts of reasons. And I don't want to be in that, but it's actually caused me to talk to a lot of people in ways that I wouldn't have and search inside myself in ways that I haven't. I connected with my, with my mom and my is closer. And that's a reckoning that it's a long time coming. Uh, I hope that we get through it without too much looting and things like that. But um, yeah, I presume that everyone out there is having these types of conversations, these types of, of questions. Uh, I don't know. That, it's where I am. I haven't come to any answer. I, I just, but there's a lot of stuff that's been dormant and pushed down inside me that I've had to deal with or I've gotten to. Uh, and I think that's a small piece of our nation. I, I hope that we are able to bring it together. This allows us to. Yeah. And, you know, everything obviously happens in cycles. And we've seen through, as you mentioned, with Muhammad Ali leading Martin Luther King and, you know, over the years, how history has often repeated itself. And, and I agree. I, I'm confident that, uh, you know, we can't come together. Because that's what makes this, you know, this unique nation so special is everybody, you know, the, the history of where people have come, th- come from all over the world to live here for a reason. Um, I, th- I don't think you could have said that any better, how you just broke that down. And I know going back to your childhood in Philadelphia, that shaped you into the man you are today. And, gr- and, and those were horrific times because I relate back to my childhood being nearly kidnapped twice and robbed at gunpoint. And things like that, I, it took me a long time to get over those hurdles. But reflecting on that and being able to talk about it and talk organically to people, um, I think because, you know, there's people that have got, get bullied right every day in the schoolyard. Mm-hmm. There's other Joshes out there that get the firecrackers, maybe even worse. And I'm sure the same thing with myself. But um, that, that's what makes you special and unique. And, you know, tell me this. You know, obviously, we're in the pandemic. You're a uh, very self-driven guy. Uh, what are you doing now to stay to stay busy? Well, the baseline is that I continue my daily habits. I'm a man of very uh, solid daily habits. I do my calisthenics every morning, every evening. So that means today is 54 burpees, all these stretches, all these. Um, yesterday was my Turkish get-ups. Before that was my lifting day. Tomorrow is going to be my rowing day. Actually, oh my God, I had I had Joe DeSena on my podcast, so he started the Spartan Rate. And, oh wow! Uh, and and you know these obstacle course things. And I'm talking about how we were talking about indoor versus outdoor exercise. It's more fun outside. 
So I have this rowing machine in my apartment. I'm in New York. It's 500 square foot apartment, not particularly, not particularly big. And I've been thinking about taking it up to my roof and rowing there. So, but I don't like taking the elevator. I only take the stairs. I'm on the fifth floor. But it's 11 flights up to the roof. And I'm like, I don't want to take the elevator. But the rowing machine is like big and heavy. So, you know, talking to a guy who's, who runs the death race and the Spartan race, one thing led to another. I'm like, F it. I'm, I'm gonna, I took the rowing machine into two parts. I walk up 11 flights with half of it, come back down, walk up another 11 flights with the other half of it. Normally, I row 20 minutes. I was like, ah, I'm f- almost 49 years old. I just went up and down the stairs twice, and then I'm going to have to go back to up and down afterward. I'll do 30 minutes. <laughs> I really like this. It's, it's like, I mean, I row a little slower when I ride, ride, row 30 as opposed to 20, so it's a little easier but longer. And I like this. You know, my podcast is bringing me to very, I mean, Jaden and Chris are two great people. And I, my podcast has given me the opportunity to meet really great people. And that's my peer group. And I believe that emerges when you serve others. If, if I were doing it to, if I were trying to make a podcast to make money or trying to do a podcast to, to get famous, I don't think I'd be able to meet the people that I do. But now I can do the podcast from home. I can, that's not gone. And I'm, I'm using this opportunity to get more interviews with more leaders and to serve more people. I, I believe, you know, the environment is critically need leadership in this area. I don't think most people want to pollute as much as they do. They just think they have to because they don't think what alternatives there are. And I try to bring them role models of leaders, usually from outside the environment, to do something to act on their environmental values. And then listeners write me and they say, you know, so-and-so did it. Now I'm doing it too. So I'm doubling down on what I, you know, if my life, I'm doing what I want to do most. I have a project that is a calling. It um, it's in service of others, it's in service of everyone that I'm confined to my home doesn't change that. And, you know, I, oh yeah, this guy set up a talk for me. I, I spoke to the University of Chicago uh, booth, the, the business school. And the guy who set it up talked to me. He lives in the Upper East Side. His kid goes to some really, one of the nice upper crusty schools up in the Upper East Side. And normally they have a summer program where students have to do a, a service project for their community. And he said that a lot of them are complaining because they don't want to, they want to be relieved of this responsibility because they can't go out and therefore they can't serve anyone. I was like, are you joking? This is, there's more service. There's more need and demand for service now than ever. You being stuck at home doesn't mean you can't help someone. And this is, this is an opportunity to, anyone who looks can find, people can find it at home. So could use someone to talk to at the very least one can do that from home. And I, I just spoke to someone in the front office, NFL rep, and I, he was very struggling right now being, you know, confined. And, and I try to lift him up. And, um, you know, whether what nationality you are, I, I mentioned that, you know, hey, look at why don't you look at your ancestors? You know, some of them went through Auschwitz, you know, went through that horrific time and then reflect on where you're at right now. So I think we're in pretty good shape if you look at to slavery or to the Holocaust or to, you know, the Italians being oppressed in the 30s. I mean, the list goes on and on. So I agree with you 100% on that. And, uh, and I'm, it's, it's refreshing to hear you say you're getting great work done and you're, 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 you know, you live your bliss every day. Uh, and you were humble on the burpees, Josh, too. Uh, you know, if I, my uh, numbers are correct, 150,000 plus to date. Yeah, I crossed that uh, a few, when was that? A few months ago, yeah. And so now I'm up to 155, maybe. I don't know. I have a spreadsheet. Yeah. Yep, you keep trying. I want to tell our listeners, Josh has done 155,000 burpees in his life. He does burpees every day. Not only that, I mean, some of the other cool things you've done, you've run six marathons. You broke four hours with huge feet. That was one I ran three Bostons, and I and I was, I'm proud of that, uh, you know, that uh, fraternity of under four hours of running. Um, 
and then you jumped out of two airplanes. What <laughs> can you babe? I mean, you gotta tell me a little bit about that. What what made you do that? Was that a bucket list or just something that uh it was uh to help the environment? I wanna hear in depth. Oh, no, that yeah, that was before I haven't flown for a long time. Uh that's no, that right. was actually a weird thing. A friend of mine, her boss was really into jumping out of planes and he had done I don't know, he's done a lot. And he was like trying to get her to do it, trying to get her to do it, trying to get her to do it. She's like, no, no, no. And finally he got her to the condition that he could bring a friend. So she brought me and I was like, I never really thought about it before. I, I'm not f- afraid of flying, but yeah, I, I know that when the, the plane goes up and you're sitting there with your feet dangling out. No, I guess we were standing up, but like looking out the, uh, into nothingness, the guy yells, are you ready to jump out of this plane? And I'm like, yes. And I, st- I stand there just totally frozen. So I can't say that. Technically, I didn't jump. I was pushed. <laughs> you know, your tandem, he's stuck to my back. And so, but it's really an amazing experience. Any time during that, you're going up and you're like, here I am. I've got MBAs. I've worked my butt out, you know, lived in Paris and in India and Shanghai. You've done a lot of cool things. Do you think, what if this parachute doesn't open? Yeah. Like, what if, does that ever cross your mind? I'm just curious because I've done some crazy things myself, but I don't think I could do that. That would be um, I mean, my thought was, if it doesn't open, then I'm going to have a, like a minute of sheer terror and then a painless end. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Well. The bigger issue is when I swim across the Hudson River because that was a longer thing and that's not just gravity working on me. I, you know, if I don't swim, I'm, I don't make it there. And it's something like a kilometer across Manhattan. And the big thing was that I didn't counter the current. And so I was like, the current's taking us down really fast. You know, there, we didn't tell anyone we were doing it. We just went off and did it. Just did it on the limb. And I went to school on the Hudson. So I always used to wonder, you know, how would it be to attempt to swim across the Hudson? So yeah, if you could give me a play-by-play, I'd greatly appreciate it. Well, I mean, it happened, there's this movie, Motorcycle Diaries, where there's a scene in it where uh, the main character, uh, Che Guevara, a young Che Guevara, he's a doctor at the time, and he's got asthma, he swims across the Amazon, and he just did it. A couple days later, maybe a week later, I don't know, I was down by the Hudson, I'm looking across and thinking, can I swim this? I mean, I can see how, I can see the other side, it's right there. I know if it was ground, I could walk it, no problem. Could I swim it? I was like, I have no idea. I really don't know. And so I started talking to friends about it and they're all joking like sharks and pollution and PCBs. And, and then one friend of mine said, let's do it. Let's try. And then I realized why I was telling people because I wanted someone to do that. And so that guy, Dave, was, he's a really good friend of mine and does crazy stuff like that. And that was fall. So we couldn't go, you know, the water temperature. So the, the summer of 2008, it was the day after the opening Olympic, the opening ceremonies for the 2008 Olympic. We watched that, had a few beers, went to sleep next morning, got up, took the safari across to New Jersey, just got in the water and started swimming and made it to the other side. I did leave a note before I left saying to my parents, if my body washes up ashore someplace, it's because it wasn't suicide. It was like I was doing something I wanted oh. to do. I, I, don't know how, I don't know how big a risk it was, but I mean, I, I was nervous. And it was kind of scary. Well, I said, yeah, I'm sure. Now, did you get fatigued at all? I mean, were you hydrated? Like, did you wake up and, and prep? I know for me, prior to games and the night before, carb loading and hydration, was that anything that you, you even considered or you just, you know, well, did- I, what I thought was, I know that I can tread water in, indefinitely and I know that my heart and lungs can make it. So I'll just swim. If I get tired, I'll tread water. I'll swim a little more, tread water, yeah. swim a little more. I just, that's when, when the current was so strong was when I realized I can't just tread water. I got to keep swimming. I got to reach the other side. What I didn't know, luckily, was that Dave had a lot of open water swimming. He didn't tell me this until afterward. So we get in the water and he's like, um, he points out you should do the backstroke because it keeps your nose and mouth above the water better. I was like, oh, good idea. I, and, and, and I also didn't notice until later that when he swam, like when his hands went in the water, it didn't splash. And only later did I realize that comes with experience. Like he's got good form. Yeah. So his helping me 
he would swim ahead and, and wait for me and swim ahead and wait for me. Uh, and that made it a lot easier. Then he finally made this push to, the, to reach a pier at f- around 45th Street. Yeah, if he hadn't had that experience, then I don't know, I, I would have gotten, I was a little nervous about three quarters of the way across because I was close to the other side, but also really low in energy. Yeah, I forgot swimming is much more upper body than lower body. And I didn't have the arm strength that I, that, or I, I needed more arm strength than I thought. But everything worked out. You did it. How, how long did it take you? We didn't, you know, we didn't have any watches. We, we, you know, when we, in New Jersey, we took off our shoes and socks, put them in, our shoes and uh, shirts and put them in a trash can and got in the water. We just had two waterproof cameras and $20 each. I think it was about an hour in the water, but I'm not wow. exactly sure. Now tell me that you obviously, you lived uh, in Paris, India, oh, yeah. Shanghai. Um, out of the, you know, what was that, those experiences like? Uh, I mean, Paris, I, I really love Paris and it's a beautiful city. I was there for about a year and then went there a couple summers on that. The, just thinking of how beautiful, uh, and also think of the last time I was there, there was uh, a girl and we were, we were breaking up. And I remember I went to the Marais, which is kind of like their Soho, their kind of nice neighborhood. Lots of little, and I saw the shop and I saw this little dragonfly uh, brooch. It's perfect. For me. But I thought, oh, it's the first shop I looked at. I, I got to check another. So I went to all these other shops and thought, no, that was really the best thing. So I went back and the place was closed. And then I saw a guy in the back and I tapped on the window. We talked for a while about how he made it from by hand and stuff like that. And uh, I brought it back and we ended up breaking up. But I really loved that experience. I mean, Paris, I, I can't help but think of romance. Yeah, Shanghai no. was, uh, Shanghai, I was there on business for about eight months. That was, and now I'm thinking about other girls there. Now you make me think of like past girlfriends. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know, that will it's do hard. it. I, it's, a special, it's a special place. Yeah, uh, Shanghai was fun. I took, on the side, I took, lessons in Chinese and one day just walking down the street looking up and seeing a sign that I before then would not have been able to read and I was just I was like oh I can read that I can read like every word or every character on it it was like saying what street was coming up next and how to make a I forget what it said exactly oh, that was really sounds, fun that is fun I was yeah, I'm sure the food must have been ex- exceptional yeah Chinese food in China and Chinese food here totally different Chinese food there is I mean being vegetarian was rough because you could order stuff vegetarian and then you get to the bottom of the plate and there's fish bones. And I thought even, even, even friends of mine who are totally bilingual would tell them no meat. And they said, there's going to be no meat in this. It means something different there than that's, but that's, yeah, like that's the pretty, smallest yeah. thing. It was, it's such a, yeah, the culture there is, I mean, I'm just from the outside a little under a year, but Oh, you know what? That was when I was making art. I was, uh, I had a that's what I was gonna, shows in New York. You were, I was going to get into your artwork. Yeah. Can you tell us a little bit about that? I mean, were you inspired by Da Vinci or Picasso or, uh, you know, any of those guys, it must have been pretty cool and, uh, you know, rewarding to you to be in Paris and doing artwork. I mean, talking well, about... That was before the art. It was in Shanghai, I was doing the art. And if you go to a gallery in Shanghai and say, I've had gallery shows in New York, they're like, come to this event afterward. And I was going to these amazing... Do they know that I'm not... Ah, yes, I am. It was like, I just, it was having a I had a great time there. The art came from, I had this invention... I mean, the reason I left academia was to start this company of um, this invention, which was this medium. It's kind of hard to describe, but when you move back and forth, it makes things inside look animated. And no one else knew how to use this medium. It was just me. Even though I didn't have a background in art, I knew there was something in what I was doing that was visually beautiful. And I knew that it would challenge me. So I made stuff. I made art. And lo and behold, people really liked it. And it led to first getting my stuff up in, in, in clubs. This is in my clubbing days in New York. But that led to gallery shows that led to me led to Art Basel, Money Beach. And yeah, it's a, art, self-expression, putting yourself out there, say this is something that I think is beautiful. And then hearing from people, I think that's not, I think that's dumb. You, that, 
I see a lot of overlap between art and, and sports because you have to go out there and give your best. And you know that you're going to either lose games sometimes, get panned by the critics, and ultimately you learn resilience, self-awareness, expression, genuineness like that. Well, I, I want, you know, a famous artist came up with this quote, the secret of art is love. Art brings out grand lines of nature. And that, that was Antonio Bordelli. Um, I just, I, I thought when I, you know, hearing you talk about art, I, I'm reading the hero's journey and uh, it was just a, you know, uniqueness to that. And, um, you know, obviously you being so diverse uh, and, 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 you know, finding passion in so many different things, uh, it's, that's amazing to hear. He obviously, uh, you know, uh, I want to say a very credited uh, award-winning uh, published author. Can you maybe talk a little bit about your writing, what, what's inspired you there and the name of your books? Yeah. The first book, it was great. It went bestseller. So that's Leadership Step-by-Step. And the next one, Initiative, they're both based on courses that I taught. Uh, when I went to business school, I found out that there were classes in leadership and I didn't know that. I didn't know. I thought, you know, either you're born with it or not, end of story. But if you practice the skills, you learn them. And what was great about those classes is that I learned that you could develop and ultimately change a lot of your identity. At first, well, what, what they taught me was lecture and case study, reading and writing papers. So I learned that you could, it, to, now I describe it as like, if you want to learn how to play piano, you can learn history, you can learn art, like music appreciation. But that's different than actually learning how to play. So I learned leadership appreciation. So I created my courses and, and, and my leadership coaching and my entrepreneurship coaching is the equivalent of learning, starting to play scales, starting to play simple pieces, then getting to complex pieces, then having your first uh, recital and then a bigger recital, ultimately making your way to Carnegie Hall. Reading about stuff doesn't get you there. You've got to do. And so my courses are active experiential courses. And the books are the, are the book versions of the courses. Uh, you can go to NYU and pay $6,000 a term to, to, not a term, per, per class. Or you can get the books and do the exercises, the exact same exercises, and anyone can do them. And they're really, uh, there's nothing like them. I mean, the lead, oh man, I haven't had, the, I haven't had a copy right here. Can, can I read the opening? Um, yeah, please book? do. So this is from Lieutenant General. So this is a three-star general from the Marines, Paul Van Ripper. He says, whether leading or following, you need to read in it. I've long yearned for such a book, the most clear and persuasive on personal development I found in 60 years of it. Spodek's focus on initiative and reflection matches what I found effective in serving in and leading organizations from a few people to over 15,000 sailors. He illustrates key ideas with meaningful examples and helpful practical. It's lucid, succinct, easy to read, and it has earned a prominent place in my library. Now, this is a three-star Marine general. There's nothing that's going to motivate this guy that he doesn't want to do on his own. And I sent him a copy of the book because I had him on the podcast and uh, a pre-release of the book. And I, I didn't think I'd hear from him at all. And it was exactly, you know, it, we've talked about it since. Where was this before? This is what I wanted to teach. Wow. That's, uh, those are deep words. And uh, yes, uh, obviously someone that's led all those uh, military, uh, you know, members. And that's incredible to hear that. Uh, you know, obviously if you've done over 3,700 blog posts, uh, one thing I thought was kind of funny was... Uh, 475 cold showers. I, I, I live by the ice bath. That was my go-to when I was playing Division One football and basketball, when I was playing arena football, running marathons. I swear I had to jump, you know, eight minutes. Um, get Or sometimes I have a funny story talking about getting cold uh, November off-season training. Uh, I went down and got in the water, walked out waist deep, and I had two cups come down on four-by-fours 
and begging me that life is not bad. <laughs> Do not kill you. They thought I was trying to commit suicide. I said, I'm just getting a recovery workout in. But if you could elaborate on the 475 cold showers, what's that all about? I'm, I'm very curious. Yeah, it's I actually just noticed it went up to 500. So it's, it's up there. Um, there's a long story. The real thing is this guy, Joel Runyon, who's actually become a friend of mine now. And he did a TEDx talk on how he met this guy who was an inspiration to him. And at the time, his life wasn't going well. And the guy said, you want to do better? Take a cold shower. And I was like, what's a cold shower? No big deal. And he's walking over. To, the next morning, he goes over to take a cold shower. And he's just reaching for the cold water handle. In his head pops in, oh, I'll do it later. Oh, you know, I'll just not do it. And, and I'll do it some other time. Or, and all his excuses came up. There were all the excuses why his life wasn't going well. And he realized the way to get over it is to, practice, is to, is to do it. And it's a very easy thing to do. I mean, for most people, it's hard, like scary. There's a lot of things you can do to challenge yourself. You can exercise, you can run, you can lift weights, you can, well, all these things take time. They often take money. They often maybe take resources. A cold shower takes, gives you time. I mean, most cold showers are shorter than your hot showers. That's what I was going to ask you. Uh, average, how long? Well, the first, at first I did one a day for 30 days. No, I didn't touch the hot water for 30 days, and, which was December into January of what, five years ago like that. And that was really difficult. And then I said, I, I don't want to do, and oh, and that was five minutes minimum then. So now my rule is I have to do the usual soap and shampoo and clean myself off. And then 60 extra breaths so that I'm not, I have to do at least some time of just taking the cold. Wow, that's, uh, that's, that's serious discipline. And I, you know what, I, I respect that. And I'm sure our uh, listeners will find uh, that that's an interesting story. You know, you've well, done I also so- want to add, I, I want to add one thing that accessibility is very important to me. I, I don't want to do things that anyone can't do. So- the burpees, the, right, in the past 10 years, I bought my rowing machine used off of Craigslist. So I was 500 bucks a little over 10 years ago. I got a couple kettlebells. Uh, They're like a dollar a pound when you get them used. Outside of that, in the past 10 years, I spent like $100, uh, like $1,000 total on fitness stuff. But all the burpees, all the body weight stuff, all the cold showers, not one penny on those. Anyone can do these things. And I, I, I don't like when people say something like, oh, Josh has this advantage. Anyone can take a cold shower. Anyone can do a burpee. You know, if you don't have, if you have arms and legs, you can, and they work, you can do burpees. You know, if you can't, you can find something, you can do bodyweight exercises. You can run. And these things are enabling. And I, I want to make sure that people get like, it's, accessibility is always, I mean, I, I don't like it when people think I can't do it because I don't have, actually one of the, um, one of my last appearances in public before the, the pandemic was, you know, food is a big thing for me. And I make my famous no packaging vegetable stews. And people are constantly saying to me, oh, well, you have farmer's markets near you and we don't. We... So I got invited by this woman to speak up in the Bronx at this community center, at this church, to show how I make my famous no packaging vegetable stew. Step by step, here's what you can do. And so I finished. I say, here's how you can do what I do. And the first person says, oh, well, you know, we can't do that here because we don't have the stuff that you do. But the next person said, actually, I go around this place and I know where you can do this. And, and someone else was like, I know where you can do that. And, there were, and so at the end, this single mom who invited me out there, McDonald's and all this other crap, those aren't saving us time and those are costing us time and money, but it's, they, they, they trap, they lure us into it. You've empowered us to get out of that. You show a way out. And that's always been my, one of my goals. I want to be able to do, a lot of people think it's hard because they haven't done it. I certainly, before I knew how to cook from scratch, I would have said the same thing. It was only when I learned how to, you know, in this case, get fresh vegetables, get fresh fruit, cook from scratch. And, and you know, it's faster, it's cheaper. Yeah. I know. And that's so true. And you are what you eat. And, you know, I'm so into lifestyle in terms of my diet. 
because a lot of things I eat, I don't necessarily like to taste, uh, or but I know better for my body. It's giving me more energy. It's allowing me to you know have marathon days at a high tempo and uh, be passionate what I'm doing day in and day out. So, and then the other thing with accessibility, you know, that struck a chord with me because I live uh, close to the water. It's a playground on the beach, and I usually. Uh, you know, I bike or run up to it. And every Thursday I do 101 pull-ups, not straight, but I do 101 because the 101 Dalmatians, because it makes me think of my kids when I'm getting fatigued. Um, so that, uh, you're right. You can really do some really different type of movements and exercises. If you get creative and look at the power of the internet, uh, to, to research and find, certain exercises lower impact you know i've recently started dairy free the body as we know very inflamed uh so trying to take the inflammation after all the pounding through the years so um it's so it's so refreshing to hear you talk about your stews and things that you do accessibility leadership um i want to call it something you mentioned the 101 dalmatians a lot of people look at exercise people who don't exercise look at exercise like painful or don't like that it's fun, right? I, I, I imagine you think of your kids when you're doing it. I do. I think of all the people inspired me to do, like yesterday, one of my, one, I do burpees different ways. So one of them is I take my hands off the ground when I'm doing the push-ups, so my chest is on the ground. So I learned that from one of my guests who was an Olympic gold medalist in CrossFit. And I think of her every single time I do it. And when I do burpees like this other way, it reminds me of this one client of mine. Everything, I learned from all the people around me. And I just love, I'm, I'm with them in all these things that I do. And you know, another big role model for me, especially during the lockdown, is Nelson Mandela. He worked 27 years. And he was, I don't know if people know, he was a boxer. Not like big professional, but he boxed as a, as a youth. And he had a seven-day you know, a, a seven cycle, four days on, three rest days. And my understanding is that he kept that the entire 27 And these days, I'm more in touch with him than ever. I, mean, I never met the guy. Challenging yourself, especially when you, when you surround yourself with peers who challenge themselves. Not arbitrarily, but you know, to learn about themselves, to, to find their potential. Then you start doing it. You, you learn from them. They learn from you and you're with them. And some of them may be historical figures in this case, or some of them may be your kids. And we connect with the people we care about when these challenges. You can connect with someone as much when you struggle together, even if you're not in person, as... Beautifully said. And Mandela, huge fan, just went to the third edition of No Backing Down and Mandela kicks off the book, uh, one of his famous quotes. Uh, yes, huge Mandela fan. Uh, talking about a true hero and uh, someone that, uh, you know, his legacy will live on forever, uh, yeah. what he did. Uh, you know, Josh, you, you, I'd like to ask guests uh, just a few favorite, uh, some questions. Uh, and it's, uh, uh, it's going to be, I'm curious to, on the second question, what your answer is going to be, but uh, favorite movie? of oh, Single favorite movie, that's tough to say. Of many favorite movies, I mean, there's always Godfather, there's Star Wars, uh, man, I'm going to talk lately, Christopher Nolan movies. I just love the, the, the richness and depth of the stories. So Inception is not one of my favorite movies, but it's, it's been on my mind lately because there's an idea that's taken hold in my head and I can't stop thinking about it. And it reminds me of Inception. And the first time I saw it, I didn't see it in the theater. And I, part of me wish I had, but I'm glad that I didn't because I had the DVD and I watched it once and I was just, all these stories fit together. And then I watched it four times in a row. Wow. Just because I love that depth of Dunkirk was. A yeah. Yep. Good, good. Two great movies. Uh, favorite book. Outside my own. Uh, you know, I'm going <laughs> to say there's a couple touchstones that really come back. Uh, I mean, Victor Frankl's much for meaning that, have that. life, life just, yeah. yeah. I so believe puts it in front of Yeah. I put it right in front of you. This is, you're right. I, I'd like you to elaborate just a little bit on that. Cause it's such a beautiful story. 
Yeah, it's, I mean, for people who don't know, he was a psychologist in the time of Freud. And then the Nazis came in, he ended up in Auschwitz, separated from his family. I believe they were all, and he writes a story about his experience there. And he writes about, did, does he, I mean, he was tortured. He was, it was in Auschwitz, right? And he, but he, what he actually writes about is love and bliss and learning about himself. And my takeaway, I believe why he wrote the book is that life will bring you things that are challenging. Few of us will face challenges scale, nothing, almost nothing. But how you respond to it is within your, that you can do. You always have the ability to the world to create meaning in the way that you, and at any time that I'm not feeling great, I can always, and I often do say to myself, is this as bad as Auschwitz with the Nazis torturing me? And so far that hasn't happened. And he's no more or less human than anybody else. And if he could make love and bliss from Auschwitz, then I can at least bring my mood up from wherever it was when I'm not in a good And that's always available to you. It's always available. It's, it's so true and so beautifully said and stated. And, you know, my, one of my quotes that I just pulled off where I have my goals every morning, I read, if today was the last day of my life, would I be happy with what I am about to do? I mean, that's something that's by Steve Jobs. That is something I read every day. And there is every day is a blessing, as you know. Yeah. Um, favorite destination. If you could go anywhere in the world or somewhere you might have been. I like, I like the road. I mean, for people who don't know, I haven't flown in, in several years. And, Since uh, 2016. For, yeah, for, for environmental reasons. Actually, coming back from Paris. And I like now, you know, people often say it's the journey, not the destination. So I like, like my mom lives 100 miles outside the city. So I, I, I'm going to start biking there now instead of taking the bus. Uh, I learned sailing to get off North America. And like the, the riding is the adventure. The sailing is the adventure. I just... And, but that also means that I can, you know, going for a run tends to be around here. There's not that many places I can go. So that's not that much of travel, but still on the road, man, you can find adventure anywhere. You can, you can create adventures is a state of mind. It's not exactly where you are. And it's unfortunate that a lot of people associate or they feel dependent on technologies that, that are extraordinarily polluting and destroy, find a place where oil has been discovered. It is not pretty to look at anymore. And so people feel dependent, like they feel like they need an airplane to get adventure, but they don't. I, I think that on the contrary, the more that they feel dependent on it, the less adventure they're going to get. Adventure just being one thing you can get. I mean, there's cultural exchange and art, cuisine and things like that. So in my TEDx talks, I talk about how in my first year of not flying, I thought, well, how am I going to get culture? Now in New York, of course, I can catch a seven train and go to parts of Queens where there's, there's no, nothing in English. For, you know, you look around, it's like many different languages and not in English. There's that. In my case, there's also a mentor of mine, Frances Hesselbein, and she, she, was, she was born during World War I. She is, so you can do the math. She's over 100 years old. Don't tell wow. her I said that. She doesn't like it when people... Uh, and so, but she's been through Prohibition. She's been through the Depression, World War II, everything since then. Spanish flu? Yeah, she lived through it. And although she was a little girl at the time. And I went out of my way because her office is in Midtown and she still goes to the office all the time. And so I went to go visit with her and spend extra time with her. Now... I believe I met someone from as different a culture as anyone in the world. I mean, maybe not someone like the deepest parts of the Amazon, but certainly more different than places where people go, you know, you go to Thailand, you're talking to people who they're on Facebook too. The cultural differences are getting smaller. So was that a different place to spend time with friends? Oh, I should mention, she was the CEO of the Girl Scouts. Uh, President Clinton gave her the, awarded her the Presidential Medal of Freedom. Peter Drucker, the great leadership thinker, named her the best leader in America. So she's not like some... Just old person. She's an, she just she has a few credentials. Yeah, actually, and that led to that's what led to me to West Point because she was um, she had a leadership chair at West Point 
And she introduced me to General Lloyd Austin, who was a four-star general in the army. And he brought me up to, that's when I first met the cadets. Everyone should visit West Point. I don't, I don't know if should, but I, I recommend everyone visit West Point, especially if you can get a four-star general to introduce you as his wingman. That it helps a lot. I took an official visit there for football back in 1995. And what a place. Yeah. And uh, yeah, it's, it's a very special place. I agree. I talked about the service earlier and the cadets there, that really, that was service. They, I mean, they are there for us. No question about it. I, I had no idea what to expect. I, if I'd known to expect that, I would have gone there years before. But just hearing them and meeting them and, and, and the heads of the departments that I spoke to, they know it's really hard to get in there. And we're, they know we're paying for it. They know we're the, we taxpayers are paying for it. And frankly, I, I presume that most of us feel gratitude to them because they're, they're willing to risk their lives. But they feel gratitude to us. I'm getting choked up just saying this. I was really caught off guard. Maybe West Point. I'll, I, that's a place to visit. I mean, especially if you can talk to people who, especially the cadets. I, I think it's one of the most beautiful spots in the country, to be honest with you. I was fortunate enough to play against them in football and, and twice in basketball and really soak that experience up. Um, last question. Favorite eat mail? You had one day you could pick something to cheat and eat. What would it be? Oh, man. Fresh fruit. I, I know the past several weeks, there's a secret location. I'm, gonna, I'm not going to tell you where it is. Uh, when I took sailing lessons, I took the path train to New Jersey and I would get off and walk to the marina. And on the way, there's a, there's a, a uh, parking lot. And in the parking lot, there's these two mulberry trees. And people walk past them walking their dogs. For some reason, no one eats them. So I take my containers and I go out there. At, I don't want to be in the subway when there's people there because of virus. So I go at like five in the morning and I go over and I bring all my containers and I fill up. I just, I'm like, la, 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 eating all these mulberries <laughs> and putting them in and, and uh, eating them. And then there's a few Juneberry trees around me where I go and I get the Juneberries. I, I, I'm eating them. I love fruit fresh. And, but sorry, it's not a cheat day because it's all healthy. Yeah. I mean, fresh fruit. I go nuts over it. I, I got these nectarines right now that are in, you, you can take all the Ben and Jerry's in the world. I, I don't want it. Well, you don't want the Ben and Jerry's either. No. I, I, and I was a huge Ben and Jerry's guy. Me too. Oh, yeah. Huge. But yeah, it's, it's refreshing to hear that on the fruit. We, we, uh, my wife found a little hidden gem in misfit markets and uh, we just had some plums and nectarines and cherries and, Apples oh, that just cherries, came in. Yeah, yeah uh, phenomenal. Uh, with, for you, uh, you know, anyone with inflammation or arthritis, cherries does take the inflammation out. That's a hidden gem right there. Um, you know, I look at your story, Josh, and where you've come from, from the streets of Philadelphia to where you're at now. You truly embody everything with no backing downs mission is. Um, you know, and we, we're very appreciative that you took the time to share, you know, your journey. Uh, if anyone wants the, 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 the couple books, can you just maybe state the titles again uh, one more time where they can buy them? Yeah, there's Leadership Step-by-Step, Step, and then there's Initiative uh, with the subtitles, A Proven Method to Bring Your Passions to Life and Work. And, you know, the usual places, Amazon, uh, Smashwords. You know, I like to get non-Amazon places, so I like to go to the other places. But they're available in the usual places. If you go to joshuaspodek.com, then you can see videos on them and read the, you know, in the upper right corner, there's how to contact me. There's links to my favorite posts because out of nearly 4,000, <laughs> like those are the, the, the ones I like the most. And the podcast is there. Uh, and, and if people want to contact me, they can reach me. Excellent. And, you know, I got a, a cool idea that came up during this podcast that I think Frank and Ari are going to love and you might even love. So obviously in Boston, we're known to have some wicked, wicked smart people out here, Harvard Yard. But I'm thinking 1997, Goodwill Hunting is, it comes out, drops Matt Damon and Affleck. And I'm thinking, what about a 
goodwill hunting to Josh. I don't think Matt Damon's character would have anything on you, and uh, you'd have an agent on this side of the uh, other end of the phone. Uh, but uh, I, I think you could play that part very well. I would love it. I'd be like, how about them berries? <laughs> <laughs> I got a number. Uh, that was good. And I love apples. Um, <laughs> but that being said, you know, obviously wish you the best. Um, you know, I'm very excited. But the same token, uh, what a narrative for the listeners. If you want to be educated, if you want to be motivated, if you want to find more passion in your days, and if you want to find some hidden gems to read, check Josh out. And uh, we look forward to staying in close contact with you and uh, for sure having you up at the uh, that little wine cork, cork stop up in uh, Andover, North Andover, when we have the 2021 draft party. But hopefully I'll see you before then. And uh, keep doing big things, Josh. Keep motivating. And I know you're going to do the best to keep this environment uh, you know, right and clean and heading in the right direction. Thank you. You know, I, one of my measures of leadership is, is how many followers someone has. And you have injured amazing. And that, to me, is one of the clearest signs of, of an effective leader. I'm just glad to work with you. Thank you. Uh, I look forward to doing bigger things, and you're more than welcome. And, uh, and, I, and I, I'm, just, I'm so moved by what you've done in your 48 and almost nine years. Um, and you definitely have found your bliss in many ways, and that's living a full life every day. God bless you. Continued success. And with that, we're going to wrap the no backing down. Uh, Josh Spodak is going to be featured on the 29th of July. Uh, so get ready to, to get your notebook out, get out your recorders, and get ready to get inspired. And just remember, Josh, always remember, no backing down. All right. Thank you. You're welcome. All the best, my friend. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Okay, bye.